So I'm, I'm realizing in the room that probably there are quite a few extroverts in the room that the answer to your question of what refreshes you is to just do what we're doing right now. Just talk, which is awesome. And for you introverts, I'm shutting it down now so that you can be refreshed and get all those extroverts out of your face. If I were to refresh myself, I would go on a bike ride. And so you can pray for your pastor if I can... Um, recoup from the day this afternoon, I want to go on a bike ride. So ask me next week, Pastor, did you go on a bike ride? That'll refresh me. Hey, I wanted to just follow up on one of the announcements in regards to our fast. I'm not going to do a teaching on fasting, but I just want you to know this. When we say we're inviting the congregation into a time of fasting, we recognize that for different ones of you, there's different ways in which God would call you to a fast. The most... um, uh, the usual fast that we find in Scripture is when we abstain from food. Of some, you know, um, we abstain from earthly food so that we can feast on God. You know, that's kind of the spiritual analogy that we would be, we would uh, we would restrain ourselves from something that feeds us physically so that we could connect with the God with God spiritually, and He would be our food. But there's different people are in different places, and so do not when we say, "Hey, we're fasting," don't get nervous. Just ask God what he would have you do and do it. If that's skipping a meal once a day or if that's taking one day to not eat or if that's fasting from something else, you ask God, what does it look like for me to partner with the church to fast in the season, believing for the same purpose that we would pray, worship, and seek God and ask him to speak and move on our behalf. That's what we're believing for. And I agree with Elaine. We're going to be gathering our staff and elders that next day to, to, to continue that time of fasting and praying and seeking God and pray would ask for you to pray for us. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke, cha- Luke chapter 4. You can look um, on the screen if you don't have a Bible or a phone that has an app that has a Bible on it or whatever. So here we go. So as we are looking at this passage of Scripture, I'll set the context. Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnation of the living God, the one that John speaks of, who was at the very beginning, who created the worlds and brought them into being, um, who um, now is living on earth. He walks into a synagogue in Nazareth. And for those of you who are from a Jewish background or for those of you who understand the context, there is a daily, there is a reading that happens in the synagogue. And it's preordained, it's, it's set. And so it happened, it didn't happen, it happened on this day for the one sitting in the, in the seats that it was Isaiah 61. But intentionally, we, we, we know that Jesus walked into the synagogue on this day knowing that Isaiah 61 was going to be read And he walked up and unfurled, unrolled the scrolls, and he read this passage of Scripture. So in Luke 4, we have Isaiah 61 being read by Jesus. And it says this, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It says a couple of verses later, and he says, what you have just heard has been fulfilled today. He basically said, that's me. I am the God who comes to set the captives free, to bring good news to the poor, to set the prisoners free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus in your midst. When we were worshiping this morning earlier, did you you encounter Jesus? I I hope you realize that you did. Whether you know it or not, I truly believe that Jesus lives in us as believers. So a room full of mainly believers, I don't know at any time who's in the room, but I know a lot of you know Jesus. I've experienced Jesus in your life. And so Jesus was living through you, and I believe he was walking up and down the aisles, and he's saying, today is the day. Today is the day of freedom. 
Who wants freedom today? At the beginning of this morning at 8.30, we gather together as a worship team, any staff that are in the building, the servant volunteers that are here to serve in children's ministry, to be ushers, sound tech, um, all of the people that are serving the, the church when they come at 9 o'clock. We gather at 8.30 and we worship and we pray and we invite Jesus uh, to reveal himself to us in such a way that we are empowered and infused to love people as they walk in the doors with the love of Jesus. So we did that this morning. And at the end of the time, Brendan Hollingsworth, a uh, pastor on staff, came up and he said, I, I want to share a picture. And he said, this morning when, my, when I woke up or when I, when I went downstairs, my wife and my daughter were dancing. They were just dancing. They were worshiping. And he said, I especially was taken by my daughter, Hosanna, as she danced. Because what I saw in my daughter, how old is Hosanna? Is she four, three, three, four or five? Okay. He said, what I saw in her was freedom. She was just dancing. And you know, you can see the picture. She was probably just twirling and dancing and smiling and worshiping. She was free. She was not encumbered by fear. She wasn't performing for anyone necessarily. She might have been performing for a mom. But she was just free to be as God had created her to be. Unencumbered. Unfettered. And, 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 and he, Brendan went on to say, you know, as adults, we sometimes, we, we move from that place of childhood dancing to a place of burden because the things of life, the cares, the, our experiences, our failures, all of the things that have happened in our life put weights on us and they keep us from dancing. So when Jesus walked into the room this morning in worship, as he entered with you, into our presence. He entered as the one who is free and the one who is proclaiming freedom. So as we start off this message and as we go all the way to the place of response, I want to put the picture of Hosanna in your mind. God wants you to dance today. Amen? He wants you to dance with freedom today. Who wants to dance with freedom today? Well, you know what? The earlier service is better than you were. I've, you know, most of the time I get a little bit more from you guys. But who wants to dance in freedom today with Jesus on your, on your disappointments, over your pain, over your discouragement, and experience God in a place of fresh revelation that he can set you free and bring hope to your life. And that word hope kind of emerged this morning as a, a key thought for us to hold on to. At the center, you maybe noticed our, our theme for this series that we started last week. At the center of a just church is a just God. And his name is Jesus. Amen? God's mission throughout time and while he was here on earth was to bring the good news of freedom to the poor. Favor to those suffering with poverty and injustice. Freedom for the sick. Freedom from death. Amen? Freedom from oppression. Freedom from bondage. God saw the needs of those who were in this place, and that includes all of us, and he said, I want to set them free. He wants to eternally, not just temporarily, bring righteousness and judgment, justice. He wants to bring a righteousness and justice that unlooses or looses the, the, the chains of bondage and discrimination and uh, uh, poverty on our earth. But he wants to do it for eternity. He wants to do it where it's lasting. And he says this about himself. Um, in, in his totality, he says in John 8, So if the Son, Jesus, sets you free, what? You are free what? Indeed. Free completely. Free fully and free eternally. And that's what we want to talk about today. That Jesus brings justice and righteousness to set us free. This is good news. This is favor from God. And as a result of his freedom in our lives, what, what else do we know? We know that if we are experiencing the love of God... Um, that we can share that love with one another. Not only can we, but God's saying, do it. John 13, 34, Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should also 
love one another. When we have been loved and freed up by Jesus, it automatically produces something beautiful in us. It produces a freedom, a joy, a life that's contagious. And you've been around people that are like that. And it produces within us a motivation, a motivation to share that love with others. I want to share with you a story about this journey of, of, of bondage and darkness to dancing. You hear a story? It's a story about a person in this room, and actually I, I, I looked for this person in the room in the first service, and they weren't there, and I'm so excited to see that they are in this room today. It's, a, it's Diane Kelly's story. For those of you who know Diane Kelly, you know her story, but for those of you who know, don't know, Diane Kelly has been walking with us, um, with our church, almost from the very beginning of our time. We've, uh, we have, what's that? Yes, wave, Di, so we can see. This is Di. I asked her if I could share this story, so Di, if I share it wrong, you just stand up and correct me, all right? So, um, our, our church, and we now have three churches in the area, but our first church that we started tw- is 20 years old now. So, we're 20 years down the road, and probably year two or year three, Die started coming to our church. And Di uh, had com- was coming to our church as one who had struggled with alcohol addiction. And the alcohol addiction in our life was also a product of some, quite a bit of trauma and pain in our life. As, as most of us know that have either dealt with addiction or have walked with people through addiction, it's not just, it, it's usually the, the, the um, symptom of a root of other things that are happening. And this is Di's story. And she came walking in a journey. She was involved with AA, and she was in a journey of walking out her freedom. Um, but she was still very, very fresh and very new in that, that journey of battling addiction, but she was also fresh in her journey of walking with Jesus in this way, and she found our church. can't remember how you found our church, but what I do remember is that she would, um, she, she was experiencing so many, so many fears and so much pain in her life that, and, that were caught as a result of her interactions with humans. I mean, how many of you have ever experienced that? It's, you know, it's people, you know, uh, that usually are the ones that bring that pain in our life that uh, she didn't really want to talk to people. She just wanted to be in the presence of God. So she would show up late, like 15 or 20 minutes late to our service. She would sit in the back, and then about 10 or 15 minutes before the service was over, she would leave. She'd get a, get a little dose of God, and she would leave. I, I, I shared in the earlier service that one Sunday she stayed all the way to the end. And I was like, "Die! you're still here. She said, I know, it was good. See you later. <laughs> You know, she got right up to the end. It was like a goal. I'm going to wait until the amen. And then she bolted. Well, that was early on in her journey. But Di um, got free. So free that this week, um, and, and I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the punchline now, but I'm going to go backwards just for a, a couple minutes. So free that this week we received a text from Di, and she said, I've been sober for 15 years. 15 years. But I know that the journey in Di's life was not just about getting free from alcohol. What Di wanted and what God wanted for Di was to not just deal with the symptom, but to deal with the roots. And the roots started with a relationship with Jesus. And so if you know Di, you know that her journey of vulnerability, of repentance, in those first years she, had some, she, she stumbled with alcohol a, couple, a few times. But her journey was about finding Jesus and finding his forgiveness and finding his acceptance and his affirmation of her and loving on her. And he did that in worship and in her own times with him, but he did that through life groups. There's been times where I think that Di has been a part of three life groups at the same time. Why? Because she's just looking for more of God and more of life with one another. And she would say that the church, her AA groups, her friendships with people who know Jesus, her living outside of herself and loving other people when she didn't feel like loving other people, all of those were a part of the healing that's brought her to the place today that if you know Di, probably one of the things you know best about Di is her laugh and her joy and her faith. She's one of my 
my most consistent intercessors. She's one of my most consistent prophetic voices in my life. She sends me prophetic words. I, I print them off. I put them in my Bible because she knows God. How does she know God? She knows God through the journey of deliverance and freedom that comes with abiding in him because Jesus came, as he declared in Luke 4, to set the captives free. Amen. And she's not the only story in this room. We, many of us, have that same story. God met us in our place of brokenness, addiction. He met us in our place of darkness. Place of shame. He said, I want to call you out of that. Because I have more for you than what you think you have for yourself and what the enemy is telling you. I have freedom. This is what God does. A just God makes a just church. Brendan opened last week, last week's series, his sermon. He opened it with a video. How many of you were able to see that video? It was a really good video. I'm going to show you the link again to that video. Um, it's called thebibleproject.com. You can look up Bible Project if you want to. You can write this whole link down. But um, there's a number of videos that this group does, and the one that we showed last week is the one called Justice. And it talks about what is justice and what is righteousness in the context of the biblical narrative and scripture. I encourage you to watch that. We showed it to our life group this week. It's a great visual piece in teaching on righteousness and justice, but I want to recap it a little bit for those of us who either didn't see it or who watched it and need a, reminding of, a reminder of what we're talking about. The Hebrew word for righteousness is sadiq, and it means to have a right relationship with God. And, and oftentimes, we, we, we get that, righteousness, being right with God. But it's not just about being right with God. It's about being right with others. To treat others as the image of God with the God-given dignity they deserve. To treat others. Righteousness is not just about being right with God vertically, but it's about being right with God, right with God in humanity and calling out the God-given given dignity and honor that his cre- creation deserves, no matter who they are. In our life group this week, we were, we were studying this and talking about it, and one of the members of our life group, May Koala, many of you know May, she, she, she spoke up and she said, you know, I work at a facility that cares for the disabled and the disadvantaged, and some of them can't even speak. Um... And she said, it would be very easy in this setting for those that we take care of to be taken advantage of. Because they can't report on us. They can't tell our managers. They can't tell their family. What we do or do not do, do, not do is really only know, known by the person who's in the room. And she said, I'm so thankful that God gave me this job. Because as a believer... God has given me the love, a love to love those who can't care for or love for themselves, love themselves. And she finished her thought on this. She said, so I thank God that every day I'm reminded of what God has done for me and how much he loves those that I'm caring for. And he said, she said this, she said, if I cannot give dignity, bring dignity and honor to those that can't bring dignity and honor to themselves, they can't take care of themselves, she said, then who is my God? See how she made the connection? It, this is who God is, and if God lives in me, this is how I should be living. Righteousness, right, rightness before God and bringing out the dignity and honor that others deserve because they're made in God's image. Justice, mishpat, that, that word in the Hebrew could mean a couple of things in regards to justice. It could mean, uh, it could be speaking of a retributive justice. For example, like if somebody stole something, they would be punished for stealing that. Setting up systems that, that, that promote right choices and punish wrong choices that affect the society that we live in. And we understand that from our own penal system. If you do something wrong, this is, what you, this is how you will be punished for that. But even most of the time in the Old Testament, uh, that, that word mishpat is used for restorative justice. 
And restorative justice is to seek out the vulnerable that are being taken advantage of and to help them or to be their advocate. Taking steps of action to defend and to change social structures that prevent Injust, that prevent justice or that promote injustice. Uh, a really common example in our, in, our, in our country would be when Martin Luther King Jr. rose up and rallied the nation, rallied uh, people and predominantly black people in our culture who were being oppressed and who were being profiled and discriminated against because of their color of their skin. He said, enough's enough. And he rose up and he marched and he rallied people to march and he rallied people to preach in pulpits and he rallied people to, to protest the government, um, to m- bring people to an awareness so that there would be a revolution to change an unjust system that was making it a disadvantage for millions of people in our country to bring awareness and to bring change. That's how we could see it on a massive scale. But even on a smaller scale, maybe another way of looking at it would be when you walk past a homeless person in the street and you see hundreds and thousands of people walking past them without even taking notice or maybe even people who are angry or ridiculing them for them being there without even knowing their story. And you stopping, sitting beside them, asking them their name, asking them their story and listening and maybe even entering into their story depending on the situation with help or encouragement physically or emotionally. That's justice. As you're doing that, dignity and honor is being, that's righteous, but it's also just because you're also demonstrating to every person who walks by, this person is really a real person. This person has needs and, and, and desires just like you and I do. And they deserve the recognition that society can give them. Do you see what I'm saying? It could be as little as a step or it could be as big as a movement. And we're called to really enter into those thoughts. This kind of radical, selfless, others-focused life is inspired and empowered by Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Right? Remember Philippians 2? It says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and made himself like a human in the form of a servant. And we know what that servant life looked like. He lived a righteous, just, others-focused life, and it ended with the ones that he loved and encouraged and healed and restored. It ended with them, us, killing him and putting him on a cross. His servanthood went all the way to the cross. It went all the way to death for you and me. A just God dying for an unjust people. Listen to how Paul describes that because we are all by nature not righteous. We are all by nature unjust. And this is how Paul describes it as he's quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. He says in Romans 3 verses 10 through 12, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Who does good? Who is righteous? Who is just in the room today apart from Jesus? What does it say? No one. Now in Jesus we are. And we'll get to that in a second. But before Jesus, without Jesus, every human being, there is not a good human being In this world, apart from God. I know that we don't get taught that in school anymore. But it is true that at the base of our existence, there is a rebellion. It's called sin. And it it promotes me and it demotes God. I can take care of myself. I don't need you, God. I know what I think. I don't think I believe you, God. I know that I was born, but I'm not sure you created me, God. We, we distance ourselves one way or another from God because of sin. But while we were selfish, me-focused, the world revolves around us kind of people, Jesus 
came into this world to change that. And that's what Romans 3 goes on to say in verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For even though everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace, his unmerited favor towards us, freely makes us right. See that word? Right or righteous in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us. There's that liberty, that freedom from the penalty of our sins. So that Jesus could say, as we quoted earlier, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Who's ready to dance? You starting to feel it? Come on. Starting to feel it. Not because of anything you've done and not because you have done bad things. You can't have it. The greatest sinner, and you just go ahead and look at your life, and you pick out the person who's the most rotten, despicable person in your life. Go ahead. I'm going to give you liberty to do that. Just go ahead and think of them right now. And just don't start getting red-faced as, you know, I'm just think. I want you to think about the worst person. It could be somebody in your life, or it could be somebody on TV. We like to hate those people really bad. You pick somebody, and I want you to have their face looking at you. They're whatever kind of face they have to you, staring at you. And I want you, as you're looking at that face of that despicable, no good, evil, rotten, at the core person. Ah! Anybody feel that? Trying to get you there. In walks Jesus. And he says, you know what? I created this person. And I can set them free. And he's, he's looking with us at them. And then he turns around and he looks at you. And he says, I can take your judgment and your anger and your righteous, I'm going to call it righteous indignation. I'm praying that that's what it is. And I can give you love and hope for that person. We need to go there sometimes. We need to go there sometimes because when we go to that place, we realize the power of the gospel. And it humbles us. And then we need to ask God, what did I look like before you saved me? Or what do I look like in my place, maybe in this room, of unbelief towards you? What do I really look like? Am I really that great that I deserve your grace? Am I really that great that I don't need to be forgiven? Am I really that great that I have the power to judge those around me? Jesus made a way. He did right. He was just. He died for the guilty. He was innocent. And God declared him righteous so that if we receive his forgiveness in his life, we can become righteous as well. This is awesome stuff. It's so awesome. And if I've been given undeserved grace and I've been set free, wouldn't it be natural that I'd want to see other people set free? Wouldn't it be natural, or at least it should be, that there would be some kind of thankfulness in me that because I have been overwhelmingly forgiven, I would want to give that to other people. And if you don't have that bubbling up in you, and that's okay, I'm not going to force that to bubble up in you, let me tell you this, there's somebody in you who's bubbling up anyway. If you are a believer, the Spirit of God, it says in Scripture, is in you, and He is saying, I don't know what you're thinking, but I want to get out of you into some people. I want the love and forgiveness that I've given you to be given to other people. I want the hope and restoration that I've given you to be given to other people, and He should be just pulling us along. He should be pushing us out. What do we call that when that happens? It doesn't normally feel like what I just demonstrated. It normally feels like a subtle conviction, a tear, a moist eye, a, reco- a recollection of where we've come from or a, an acknowledgement of where we could be. And then God says, could you just give that to somebody else? Doesn't he want to mobilize us? I open up the story with Di, the sermon with Di's story. And in that instance, in her story, she was in bondage. God set her free from addiction, but it ended with a deep and abiding friendship with God, with Jesus that produced joy that she could dance 
and celebrate. God doesn't want to just cut down the symptoms. He doesn't want to just destroy the tree of sin, a tree of injustice and oppression that he declared. He wants to deal with the root in that sin. Sin is at the root of every injustice. And if he doesn't deal with that one believer at a time, one institution at a time, then there can't be true forgiveness and deliverance. It will, it will crop up again. Anybody ever cut off a weed in your yard? You know, I, it's so easy. You know, if you don't really, and there's some weeds that you got to get a spade to really get all the roots. And so it's so much easier just to go rip. It's gone. How many of you know that when you just rip the top off of a weed, it just grows right back? And dadgummit, it's hardier because the roots are still growing. And so the next time, it just gets stronger. God's saying, if we don't, as a society, deal with the roots of unbelief in Jesus, the roots of injustice that come from, you did this to me, I'm going to do it to you, then we're going to continue to repeat the cycle over and over and over Remember in the video when it described the reality that in the world, those who are oppressed, what normally happens when they get set free? Do you remember what the, the picture it said? It said, if you didn't see the video, it showed these different scales. And it, t- it showed somebody who would be, was oppressed being helped up by somebody else. And once they got on equal ground, they immediately pushed the stone down and began to oppress their oppressor. Why is that? Yeah. Because when we are oppressed, when we are treated poorly, when we are mistreated, all of those things that we can honestly say happen, when that happens, what sometimes is the fuel that sustains us? One day, maybe in my lifetime or another lifetime, but one day, you evil person, you're going to get paid back for what you did to me. It's an anger and a hatred that fuels our hope. But is that hope at all when the only answer to our vindication is that the person that oppresses us gets paid back and paid back well? I wished I would have said this in the earlier service because I I, I didn't. And I want to say here, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences for injustice. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some kind of of, uh, consequence to evil that's been perpetrated on people. I'm not saying that at all. But at the root of our being oppressed, the only way for oppression to cease, for the cycle to be broken, is forgiveness. We can feel it in our society right now, can't we? With all the things that are going on in in regards to uh, the animosity and the hatred between different groups of people and the hurt and the pain that's coming up of of abuse that's been perpetrated, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. There's multiple movements that are happening that at the root of those movements is sincere injustice and oppression and stuff that's happened that's wrong, that needs to be brought to light, needs to be dealt with. There's no question That there needs to be communication and conversation about that. And the church should be right at the center of that. But if at the center of that conversation is, and when we get in power, you're going to pay. What happens? They might pay. They might be put in prison. They might lose their jobs. They might be publicly scorned. But does that heal the problem? A year, 10 years, 20 years later, guess what? The ones that are under that yoke of retribution rise up and they do the same to the, the, the people. Before. It just goes back and forth. It doesn't heal. It doesn't bring restoration or reconciliation to the parties that are at odds with one another. It just perpetually builds the wall. We need a different path. And the only path that offers hope is Jesus. I can't say this about me as a believer, but I can say this about Jesus. He was mistreated unfairly. He was persecuted and he was beaten unfairly. He was misunderstood. He was not received as in the spirit that he came. Everything about Jesus and what he, who he was and how he ministered, he received the opposite, mostly, of what he gave. 
And it was in that place of him taking it. And then on the cross, do you remember what he said? He looked at the ones who nailed his hands to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know who they're killing and they don't know the system that they are enabling. Somewhere underneath the consequences of sin and the, the, the writing of wrongs in our own personal lives and culture, there has to be a writing that comes with the spirit of grace and forgiveness at its, at its ultimate root. Or the systems won't be broken, and that's how God broke the system in our own personal lives. Today, who are the captives? Who are the prisoners? Who are the ones that need physical and spiritual freedom? Who can we work on, work for on, on behalf? Because this, this message is not just about personal freedom. It's about God. How does the free, our personal justice and righteousness, how does that get out into the world through us? So I could, I could highlight uh, quite a few things, but can I highlight just one organization really quickly and then just some other things that are going on in our church? Slavery. Are you aware that there is human trafficking, and especially in the sex industry, that there is massive human trafficking and slavery that's happening in our world today right under our noses. There's an organization that we're affiliated with in Waco that's, that's, that was started through the church called Unbound. You can, you can look it up. If you do Unbound Waco, you'll see a ministry. And it's a, it's, it's, it was built to deal with human trafficking in the Waco area in Texas. The, if you hit their website, they, they share some statistics. 30 million slaves worldwide. 30 million. 300,000 child slaves in America alone is, 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 the, is the statistics. Ones who were at risk, that they were exploited, exploited, they were offered a better life, they were lied to, and once they came into the contact or into the possession of their slave owner, they didn't know it was a slave owner, their friend, they were trafficked and moved to different locations, different cities where they are malnourished, where they are kept in prison, where the debts held over them. Uh, where they, they have no power to be liberated or set free on their own. They're hopeless. They're victims. And so Unbound formed a, 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 a ministry that was bent on prevention, training, and advocacy. And so they, they empower youth and others to spread awareness through the city of what's really happening. And they organize groups and organizations and churches to get involved and then they train professionals, lawyers, medical professionals, educators, social service providers, equipping professionals with skills to help serve the victims. They partner with the local law enforcement agencies to help be eyes on the ground and to help with whatever kind of information that they can give so the law enforcement agencies can work on behalf of these victims. And then they provide survival advocacy. When a, when a slave, when somebody who has been captured is freed, they provide safe houses. Uh, they provide counseling. They provide physical care, food and clothing, etc., and help with relocation so that these people can get back to living the life that God had called for them to live. What would it be like if somebody in this church decided, you know what, that really hits home with me. I'd like to jump in and make that happen here. Wouldn't that be powerful? It's just one story, one organization. But what if we... As God spoke, said, God, one of, one of us or a group of us said, you know what? I've been set free. I'm no longer a slave that we sang about earlier. I want to help literally slaves be set free. Can I give you a statistic that would, will discourage you? And I, I only know this from reading the paper. This time last year, 10 traffickers, a ring of traffickers in Waltham were arraigned and indicted for sex trafficking in our community. 10. That was in the local Waltham Trib. It's right around us. What, get, what would God do? If he, what would God do through the church to help with them? Or what about addiction? Diane was a story, and Diane had the help of AA. She had the help of life groups to help her walk through the church, to walk through her journey out of addiction into life with Jesus. But what about 
the church providing opportunities for people who are addicted to be set free. We have this Conquer series that we, we are introducing that, that is for people who have sexual addiction problems to, 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 to realize that there's hope for them in Christ and there's power through community to walk free. Those groups go into what are called pure desire groups and we have groups in our church right now that are meeting to walk out in freedom from that addiction. That's awesome, both men and women that are walking through that journey together. We uh, had a dunamis group. Uh, the, the, the power of God's spirit is what dunamis means that Christopher and Dorothy Greco led last year that deals with issues of brokenness and healing and wholeness that can come through walking together with Christ. Um, we've got to provide more of those opportunities for people to be free. What if you um, were a part of seeing that established and help establish one of those groups within our church and community? When we get real, when we get vulnerable, when we get free, with Jesus' help, we bring hope to others. We do. I, I believe that just by sharing Di's story today, somebody in the room is like, I want that story. I want that story. And I have a feeling that somebody's going to come up to Di later on and say, Di, I want you to tell me your story because I am right where you were. How did you get free? Our testimony sets people free. We've got to talk about our stories. Don't walk in shame of your past story. That is what you once were, the scripture says, and now you are free in Christ. And if people don't hear it, and if people don't experience the life that you've been freed from, then they never know that they have hope to be free themselves. So if your story is a story of deliverance, tell it. There's no shame anymore. There's glory in Jesus because he set you free. And what about last one? What about healing? For the sick. We've seen people healed of tumors. We've seen people healed of, of all kinds of problems in our church. Just through prayer. Laying hands on people in hospitals, on the streets, in restaurants, at homes, in church. People who had physical ailments that God set free and delivered through his healing. We know that when Jesus died on the cross, it said by his stripes, we are healed. And it's not just a salvation healing, but it's also a physical healing. He, he came to bring the kingdom to, to, to the earth, the kingdom of heaven to earth. Do you want to be free this morning? I want to end the, in, this, in this part of the, of the message with a video, and I want you to watch this video that kind of encapsulates what the gospel does in our life and what God is calling us to do. to introduce you to the gospel right now. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you are born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God, to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end and he's going to finish you off because he has legal right to do it and he's going to relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor, your mighty man. And he stands between you and that accuser and he takes the hit that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it has always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. Here's the problem. 
Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. And I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue yes. through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. You know how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel? That you were undeserving completely? The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence? It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? you to represent me absolutely anything i can do for you just tell me i need you to go back to that prison cell that i took you out of because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth will you go for me in a heartbeat i would i would gladly serve you any way you want any way you ask i need to forewarn you i'm going to send you out and you'll be as you they'll hate you they'll persecute you they will do whatever they can to harm you i'm in i'll do it god i don't care you shed your blood for me i would gladly shed my blood for you take my body take my blood spend it any way you want i belong to you in, in covenant take me lord jesus send me the commission not just the penalty not just the problem not just the invitation to his very near presence not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the king of kings but we are commissioned to represent him and i want you to realize that is a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name yes. the very image the very reputation of god almighty and he's for a second. Let's just think about that. you that you have set us free from the prison from bondage to sin and that you've opened the prison door and that you've invited us into your presence into your family and Lord that you trust us with your good news you trust us with your presence and you're sending us 
but we worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? So I, I start off this this ending time, and we're running a few minutes long, but I'm just going to go here because I, I feel like God wants to, or we're about to run long. Who wants to dance this morning? Who wants to dance this morning? Who wants to dance over your own life, but also over the life of others? This morning, as we gave a response for uh, people to be respond to their own need for healing and their own need for freedom, I had a, a, a man come forward who I know really well, and I know his life, and I know he's wrestling with things in his own life right now. He's struggling with his own um, temptations and demons. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, I'm not a peer pastor to pray for me. I want to pray for, and he named a person in his life who's going through a really hard time. And he said, I just, I want her to be free. He said, I've tasted freedom, and I want her to be free. What are you dancing on today? Who are you dancing for? What is God saying to you? The altar is open for the next few minutes. If you have a need uh, for hope in your life, We're going to have some people up here that would love to pray with you to help you to see that there's hope in your place of discouragement, your place of despair, your place maybe of addiction, your place of broken promises, your your place that seems um, very dark. We want to believe with you for hope, for the door to be opened. If you need salvation. This this, uh, video that I showed, we showed a few years ago, and it was after watching this that... Um, a man in our church said, I am that person in prison and I don't want to be in prison anymore. This might be your day to meet Jesus as your Savior. If that's you, you can come forward as well. If you have a need for healing physically, come forward. Let's believe for God to heal you this morning. If you have a need of prayer, come forward and we'll have people that are praying for you, pray, that will pray with you, for you. Let's take the next few minutes to respond.